of God's Word. I see there's several in front of you, right? And uh, Acts chapter 3. I truly appreciate Kyle and Tressa, more Tress and the kids than Kyle, but you know, uh, it's great. And truly am thankful for the privilege to be here. Uh, who here is a homebody? You, you, like, you, like, you like things at home, you don't really like to travel, you don't like to get out, you don't like to break out of your comfort zone. Some of us are a little more, we like the excitement and the, you know, going out and kind of having more experience and dynamics and culture. I'm not that kind of a person. And so I am like so far out of my element this morning. Uh, I am thankful uh, for the privilege to be here, but uh, to be honest with you, it's but the grace of God that I am what I am. Um, everything about my life is is not, uh, I never in my, my wildest dreams, I ever thought I would be a public speaker, let alone a pastor. I grew up in a very dysfunctional situation. That's where, that's just, just where I was. And uh, <clears throat> left home, uh, you know, graduated high school, did all those things, went into uh, building power lines and had a career in, in building power lines uh, for about 17 years as a journeyman lineman, uh, as a foreman, different things. And uh, was serving the Lord in, in his church and uh, came to know the Lord as my Savior when I was 19 years old. And uh, it, it was just amazing. God did a transformation and working in my life and drawing me to himself. And I'm just thankful for all that he has done. But can I tell you, uh, my, my salvation is much attributed to my wife. Uh, her testimony, her, uh, her family, they are the ones that really made an indelible impact in my life and showed me how hollow and busted that I was. Um, and so, this morning we're going to be in a text in Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at a broken guy. Uh, we're going to look at somebody that he is busted. He is depending on other people to do for him what he cannot do for himself, to find wholeness, to find some kind of satisfaction. And can I tell you, I can identify with this guy. This was me. And uh, for some of you, you might say, that's me today. And can I tell you, there's hope in Jesus. And we can be whole in Jesus Christ. And, and today, maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but there's some things in your life that has come in your life, and you're just not the disciple that you ought to be. And we can get that all turned around, because there's always grace and mercy at the foot of the cross. And so Jesus, uh, he, there's never a time, there's never a lost cause uh, and so uh, we're, we're going to jump into this this morning, Acts chapter 3, because there is chili on the back end of this thing, and I don't want to belabor it. And so let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10 this morning. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. This morning, with the Lord's help, I endeavored to preach a message entitled, When Broken Went Beyond Beautiful. When Broken Went Beyond Beautiful. 
Would you pray and would you just ask the Lord to speak to your heart this morning as He has spoken to mine. Father, we come before you as we would just ask and pray that you would indeed, would you just show up? Would you move and work in our hearts? Lord, I pray that we would set all distractions aside. There's things vying for our attention this morning that is trying to get us to think on things after this, things next week. Uh, I pray that we would be intentional about just asking the Lord to speak for your servants here. And that we would come intentionally asking and desiring and hungering and thirsting after you. Lord, in some way, shape, and form, we're all busted, we're all broken, and we need Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that we would find our hearts to be attentive this morning. Just truly, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move. Lord, I'm nothing, and I need you. And I would ask and pray that you would just absolutely just fill me with your Spirit. Lord, please, if there's any sin in my life, Lord, will you please forgive me? If there's anything, any way that I've grieved your spirit, quenched your spirit, please forgive me. Lord, if there's any self in me that is taking priority, please cleanse me of it. And Lord, just fill me with your spirit. I just, I just so badly want to be a, just a vessel used for the Master's glory this morning. That, you would, that Jesus would be high and exalted. Lord, touch every heart. Lord, I pray if there's some here today that they find themselves in an honest, broken position, that they would know that they can be made whole in Jesus, that they can be saved. Lord, we just trust you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to look at a passage, and much of what I'm going to be preaching, it's going to be twofold. I'm going to be ta- speaking to, can I tell you, I'm going to be speaking to those that are saved sinners, and those that are lost sinners, broken sinners. And so, I want to give us as much context as we would just go through this, but would you find yourself in the message this morning? Would you look for Jesus? And so I want to give us some context, and I'm going to try to work quickly through the text, but here we go. At this point in the body life of the New Testament church, everything is very new, everything is very fresh. They just, if you will, Pentecost is just having this incredible uh, event, just happening where the Holy Spirit shows up and some 3,000 people get saved. And there's, at this uh, there is an incredible, there's some phrases that are uh, really being used within that, the, uh, the context of Acts chapter 2, and where uh, it, I would say that there is great unity within the church. But can I tell you, just from an outside perspective, these people, they reflect this one phrase that I've said, that I, I would aspire for our church, but also for your church, and I know it's uh, Kyle and Tress's heart as well, is that they are all in for the gospel ministry. That Peter and John, here they are, they are going to the temple, they are going uh, intentionally to worship, to pray, and yet, can I tell you, at the very crux, at the very heart of everything that's going on within the church, is the church is unified, and they are all in. Each disciple is making it their priority. 100% of their effort, 100% of their resources, 100% of the time. Every one of them is coming and they are just, they're saying, not of me, oh God, and it's not my resources. I am, I am but a steward of what you've given me and I just want to give it back to you. And so, there are these reoccurring terms in Acts chapter 2 which show us this unparalleled unity within the body of Christ that they are having with each other and along with this undeniable commitment to share the gospel. 
In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 44 and 45, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. There's, there is indeed... There is a 100% commitment. There's a 100% of where they are willing to give of their efforts, of their resources, 100% of the time. And so Jesus Christ, can I tell you, Jesus Christ brings about a radical new reason for life, but it is only accessed, it is only accessed when we go all in for Jesus. It's the only way this happens. When we read the testimony of this incredible Venture of what is happening in the body life of the New Testament church. It's attractive, but can I tell you, unfortunately, so oftentimes where we go with it is, well, that's then, this is now. As though it's fiction and it's not fact. And Well, that, that's really a, a novel thing, but we can't see that. That is absolutely false. We can have that, but it has to come from within saying, each person individually saying, not my life, but Christ. For it's me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it's losing sight of my resources and my abilities and my timetable, timetable, my calendar, and saying, you know what, God, you bought this life. How dare I hold hostage with, with, with which rightfully belongs to you? And so, every sinner, can I tell you, when we look at this passage, we can find ourselves in this passage. Every sinner finds themselves to be at the very place that this lamb, lame man is in his life. But can I tell you, he's asking for money. He's asking for an alms. He's laying there. He's, he's totally broken. And he's asking for money, but money is not what the man needs. It's not what he needs most. This man needed salvation for his soul, and he needed healing for his body, and money could not buy either of those. Now, people are consumed. People are consumed with looking at their physical problems so they sit in spiritual disrepair. They sit in a state of broken self-sufficiency while they are at the brink of something that is beautiful and bountiful. They sit there at the brink. He's at the gate of beautiful. And he's sitting with all... He is a man full of potential, though he's broken. And he's sitting at the brink of something that is beautiful and bountiful. And every sinner finds themselves at that very place. Every person can have that place of bountiful and beautiful. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 25 through 28, it says, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. There is no reason to live this morning as a beggar when our Father has so much bounty. And so this man sat in brokenness, yet he is looking to believers. He's sitting at the gate of beautiful, and he's seeing people pass by by the droves, and he, is, he fastens his eyes on two people. They are believers. And he's fastening his eyes upon them for substance that he does not have. His eyes have become fixed on people who know Jesus. Thus, there is a great need for saved sinners to come alongside and show broken sinners grace in their desperate spiritual reality. 
And so there, where we, can I tell you, where we, as the body of Christ, can I just compel you this morning to make a reckless decision in choosing to make Jesus preeminent through consciously deferring to Him and ministering the Gospel to broken sinners at a moment's notice. At a moment's notice, these, these two men, at a moment's notice, they saw Him, their hearts were touched, and they engaged with Him. At a moment's notice. But you know what? how that happens? is because before that, they made a cautious decision that Christ would be preeminent. That He would not be the priority. But no, from every, through, as they looked at life, they looked at it through the lens of Jesus, that every member indeed became a minister, and every person that they saw was a ministry. Colossians 1.18 says, And He, Jesus, He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He, Jesus, He might have the preeminence. And one must realize that for the power of Christ to rest upon your life, God ultimately will go rogue against your calendar and against your comfort zone. Folks, if you really... Do we want to see Acts chapter 2 in our church? Do we really want to see the power of God falling from on high and where we are seeing scores of people get saved and where the Gospel has free course throughout our community? Oh, you bet we want that. But can I tell you, are you willing, are you willing this morning to sacrifice your comfort zone and your calendar in order for God to have the preeminence? Or are you going to be looking at the clock and you're like, you know, I've been sitting in this seat for like 20 minutes and he still hasn't even really said anything. All right? Folks, can I... uh, Listen, practically speaking, this is what every... If if there is a, a man of God that truly desires the things of God, this is our heart's cry for you. This is our heart's cry for you. For people just to say, not my life. Not my life. And that we are willing to let God go rogue on our comfort zone in our calendar. Practically speaking, can I tell you this? That God will implant His divine appointments. Peter and John had a purpose that day. Their purpose was to go and to pray. Yet, we all had purposes. We have purposes this today, tomorrow, throughout the course of this week. You will have appointments of life. You will have purposes and things that you have plans. And can I tell you that His divine appointments will often, from our perspective, will be viewed as distractions. They'll often be viewed as distractions into our regularly scheduled life appointments. Well, i got to get to the doctor. But what about this broken one that I've also all of a sudden encountered? Well, I've got to get my groceries and I've got to get checked out because I've got to make dinner. Well, what about that one that's checking out your groceries and cashing you out? I can't, I can't be distracted with these people that are broken that are all around me because I've got things to do and people to see and I've got sports to make and I've got dinners to make and I've got housework to do and I've got money to make and I've got retirement to save up for. Folks, don't get so blinded by this world's distractions that you miss God's divine appointments. And so practically speaking, God, he, this is why we have to fight and we've got to resist even our own selves. We've got to bring ourselves into subjection. And so Jesus wants to do, can I tell you this, every life, every life in this building is valuable to God. And Jesus wants to do great big things 
through my little life. But I have to look for the opportunity through making myself willing and available to Him. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So God always does the greatest of things when we simply do the little things faithfully. So, I say all this, and I'm going to try to be really quick, but I'm trying to get our hearts in tune with this. Is, this is the context. I'm going to go as quickly as I can, but will you intentionally listen? All right, number one, how does broken go beyond beautiful? Well, in verse one through three, there is desperation in the man. There's desperation, man. Let's look at verse 1 through 3. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And so the ninth hour, this is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, our, our schedule. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. There's desperation in the man. Peter and John were not just going to the temple to participate in religious worship. Rather, because of the gospel, these men, can I tell you, they are primed. They are primed to make a difference through taking risks in sharing Jesus Christ. The apostles and the disciples are right at this very moment. They are quickly becoming marked men who are threatening the religious establishment. Well, when all of a sudden, some 3,000 people get saved in the midst of Jerusalem, yeah, they all of a sudden, they are becoming targets very quickly. And yet, they are fully engaged with God's Holy Spirit who is prompting them to take risks for divine appointments. He's prompting them to, even amidst the fact that they're right in the middle of enemy territory, if you will, right in the midst of religion is all around them, and yet they're taking risks in capitalizing on the divine appointments that the Holy Spirit is prompting them to take. Jude, you know, Jude 22 and 23 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others say by fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Folks, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to actually see uh, uh, lives and hearts and souls change by the grace of God, we've got to be willing to take a risk. And it's always easier in the Christian life to play it safe than it is to make a difference. Let me say that again. It's always easier in the Christian life to play it safe than to make a difference. It's a lot easier for me to just stay on my comfort zone and on my calendar than it is to get, out, get outside of where I like to sit and actually minister to broken people. See, there were nine gates that led from the court of the Gentiles into the temple itself. And so thus, there were, there were people who would have been hundreds of people near the temple and perhaps scores of beggars that were along the way. The giving of alms, it was an act, if you will, of merit in the Jewish religion. And therefore, it would have been appropriate for a beggar to place himself. I mean, if you're needing to, to really... You, I mean, this is, this is how I make my living. This is how I get my necessities met. The greatest place for him to be is where he's at. He may be a lame beggar, but he's at least a smart lame beggar. I mean, he's, he at least knows and understands, hey, I've got I to gotta take advantage of my situation my, to, to be able to meet the needs that I have. And so, so this, these, there would have been beggars by the, probably by the droves. The giving of alms was an act of merit, and therefore it would have been appropriate for beggars to place themselves here. This narrative introduces us to a man 
who was born, get it, he was born with an incredible defect in his life. It's not something he did, he was born with it. Much like all of us, can I tell you this, this guy included? Much like all of us, this man had an, an infirmity that the moment he took up residence in this life, he had an infirmity. Romans 5.12 says we all have this infirmity. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. None of us, can I tell you, none of us are standing before God. We all come into this life limping and lame in the sight of God. And so due to his defect, it caused him to have a daily dependence upon humanity to meet the needs of his life. This busted humanity, one busted sinner asking another busted sinner to to somehow find some relief. And it's a great reflection of the very day and age which we live in today. And thus, he had accepted the fact that his condition, which he finds himself in, this is a good of life as I ever will have. He has come to this, this fatal conclusion of, I just have to somehow get sympathy from other people in order to have some semblance of life. What a sad state of affairs to live in. But can I tell you, we all come into this world with just as broken and just as busted as this man. Where we are broken, where we ourselves, where we find ourselves broken because of sin. Every one of us. Can I tell you, there's only two people. There's only two types of people in eternity. There are saved sinners, or forgiven sinners, and there are lost sinners. And the saved, forgiven sinners are the ones that are in heaven, and the ones that are lost are the ones that are spend eternity in hell. But can I tell you, nobody has to have that second reality. That God came, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, He recognized and saw our broken condition. So God came to us when we could not get to Him. He came, He put on a meat suit. Folks, this meat suit, this flesh, this is a a temporary dwelling place that we have in this life. And yet we carry this through this life and it's weary and and it's burdensome and it's broken. And whenever we never feel 100%. My wife, she woke up this morning with a headache and a backache and a husband ache and everything else that ache. I mean, you know, I mean, but can I tell you that we are in such a broken condition. And yet God sees how busted we are. But because of our broken condition, can I tell you, we can't get to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't get to Him. So God was so gracious, so merciful, so loving, He came to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, why did Christ die? It's because, can I tell you, that God has always had a penalty upon sin. And that penalty is death. What do you mean death? Well, death is a separation. Can I tell you, when we die, we are separated. Well, what do you mean? Who you are on the inside is your soul. Every Every person here has an identity. And your identity is who you are on the inside. And so plastic surgery is a, is a big thing, right? And where they, everybody is working on fixing and, re, and, and trying to uh, enhance the outside. And you know, if you're a really good plastic surgeon, you could, do, you could make Kyle look like me and me look like Kyle. And that would be a terrible tragedy for me. That would be awful. <laughs> I would hate myself. You know? But, here, but here's the thing is, does that exchange our identities? No. 
Why? Because that one, that identity that's inside us, that's your soul. And that soul, you live forever. The only thing you need to concern yourself is the destination to which you are going to live. And if you will, but take inventory of your life and you'll just admit and recognize before God, God, I'm busted. I'm broken. I'm lame. I can't. I can't get to you. I have made decisions that, can I tell you, I have made sinful decisions. Well, what's sin? Anything that I say against God. Against God and His Word. Anything that I think that is against God and His Word. Anything that I do that is against God and His Word. And it's all centered around me. That is sin. And sin has a steep penalty, for the wages of sin is death. If I got what I deserved, I'd spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And so that whole idea of separation is this. When a person dies physically in this life, you are separated. Your soul is separated from your body. The body goes back to dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From dust we came, from dust we will return. But your soul, who you are, lives somewhere forever. And so today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, then you don't know the location of where you're going to spend eternity. And so today, can I tell you, if you will but take honest inventory of your life and admit to God and recognize, God, I'm busted, I'm broken, I'm lame from birth, I want Jesus. He will save you, He will heal you, at, if you will just cry out to Him. And we will help you at the end of the service. We want to show you that. That is what's called the gospel. So, this defect in this man, the life he was living was as good as he could ever get. This man had come to terms with the reality that he will never rise above being a broken beggar. He is doing the best of his ability to seek a solution for his problem. But can I tell you, the Bible says in Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the, it, but the end thereof is the ways of death. That everybody here, in the midst of our brokenness, we come into this world and then we try to make the best out of our brokenness, but it's still death in the, in the end. Yep. And so people think they know the answers to life's problems, but in all reality, they are ignorantly short-sighted of what is truly lacking in their life. And so we all are lame from birth spiritually and unable to come to God on our own. And where we all are needy beggars who do not even know how much we are truly missing in this life, the natural tendency in humanity is to view our greatest problems as being physical, external, and financial. However, the biggest problems that we face are always spiritual in nature and never just merely physical. It's always spiritual. That is your greatest problem. And so in all actuality, this lame man is wrong in the questions that he was asking Peter and John. Sirs, do you have something that you could give me? So a little bit of money. And But can I tell you this? He was wrong in the questions he was asking, and the world was wrong in the answers they were giving him up to this point. These are the wrong answers that they're providing. Much like today, can I tell you, the world is attempting to fix the issues of this life through mitigating hunger. Or, you know what, social injustice? They are, and they have a willful ignorance for the problems we face are spiritual 
There are spiritual issues resulting from sinful hearts. Matthew 15, 18, and 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they that defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. This world often mocks the very one that they are missing. And yet the sole desire of every person is to know their God from a point of Him being their soul's desire. That is what you need this morning if you don't have Christ. And so, this, if you will, there was a desperation in the man. And there was, then there was a demonstration of ministry. There was a demonstration of ministry. Verses 4-7, through seven, look at it with me. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Just like a preacher, right? Just like a preacher. Alright? Alright? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. There was a demonstration of ministry. This text is not merely a picture of our world and its brokenness. It's also a picture of our work as Christians, as believers, as the body of Christ. As you read the introduction of the narrative, we are told that Peter and John had plans. They had plans to go into the temple and pray that day. You had plans this morning. Though they find themselves at the temple, Peter and John never actually, can I tell you, you read the end of the text and you read even even into chapter 4, they never execute that which they planned to do that day. They actually never went and prayed. Instead, Peter preached. But he never prayed. He preached. And so, the very purpose for why they left their home that day had been hijacked by God. How dare God do that to them, right? Right? How dare you put this ministry in front of me? How dare you put this distraction and this, this broken individual in my path? How dare you, God? I mean, this is my life. I've got plans. And so, Peter and John didn't see. Can I say, they didn't see a crippled man. They saw a crippled soul. Folks, when you see people, what do you see? Do you see a crippled person, a broken person, or do you see a crippled, broken soul? And so, they were so on mission for God that there was a real spiritual sensitivity. And here's what they did. They obeyed every impulse of the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 4 and 5 gives us the, if you will, how this happens. Jesus told us how we can be that, those ones that are now engaging in ministry. Jesus said this, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me... And I in him, the same bringeth forth, get it, much fruit. But yet, for without me, you can do nothing. The more that you see the gospel, folks, the more that you see the gospel working in people's lives on a regular basis, the more you will see people through the lens of the gospel. Can I tell you, there is nothing more addicting and nothing more attractive in this life. When you see the gospel start taking roots in the hearts and lives of of sinners, whether they are saved sinners or broken sinners, and when you start to see that, start to spring up of life and life everlasting, it springs of living water. Can I tell you, it is so addicting, it is so attractive. Can I just compel you this morning? Can I just compel you? Just try it. 
Just do it. Like Nike says, just do it. I, I'm telling you, the gospel is so worth it. Jesus is so worth it. If nothing else, just look at what He's done for your life. And can I tell you, allow that to be the very motivation of why we should share the gospel. But the more that we're around it, the more that we share it, the more that it will become part of us regularly. So sadly, we are becoming a culture that is becoming very comfortable and get it with social distancing. We are becoming, and we know that term now, don't we? We know it real well. And we are becoming a culture that is very comfortable with social distancing. It has become a novelty. Just go through the store. I, I challenge you, go through the store and just try to make eye contact with people and say, how are you today? Weirdo, you know? It's like, what in the world? Just make eye contact. Just, just try it. Just see how many people actually make eye contact with you. It says here that Peter, fastening his eyes, that term, fastening his eyes, it means to fix the eyes on, to look into anything, to fix one's mind on one as an example. Christians, we need, hey, here, can we just maybe for a minute get our eyes off our phones and off of ourselves long enough to actually look at people? We need to get our eyes off of our phones and off of our schedules and off of our comfort zones long enough to actually see people for broken, crippled souls and not just being, oh, they're just, they they're just oh, have hard luck. They're just on bad times. Well, they did that to themselves. Folks, that is not the Spirit of Christ. And so we need to intentionally get our heads up if we are to give hope and help to the ones that are all around us. you got to get your eyes up. Uh, John 4.35, Jesus says this. He is, after ministering to the woman of Samaria, who is of ill repute, and who, who the disciples had nothing to do with, and Jesus, as she leaves and the disciples comes, He says, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white and all ready to harvest. Can I tell you, Whitehall Baptist Church this morning, the fields are white and ripe and ready for harvest, but you have to lift up your eyes. You've got to see them. They are there. We have to minister. That is what our calling is. Until we intentionally look at people for who they are, we will never look at people for who they need. And so Peter and John were not... Can I just tell you, they were not only intentional in who they saw, but they were also not impersonal through keeping their distance from this broken man. And that's what a lot of times we do. You know, we don't want all the baggage that come with the brokenness because why? Well, they smell like alcohol or drugs or they have busted homes or you know what? They have, they, they have exes and, they, and the kids have multiple you know, locations and we don't want to be too involved because then all of a sudden their mess has to come into my nice, clean, comfortable life and heaven forbid that I would have to reorganize my, my nice, comfortable life. They, did, they got involved. They both knew that they could not give this man what, they, what he needed from a distance. And neither can you. These apostles give a beautiful demonstration of what the ministry is in real time. And here's what it is. It's getting personal. Getting personal. God will use us 
as his able ministers of the gospel when we just simply reach out to others through the grace of God. First Thessalonians 2 and 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, hey, unto you what? Oh, not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because why? You were dear unto us. Can't you not hear the heart there? Can you not hear what uh, the, the real what what ought to be from just normal Christianity? It ought to be yes. I'm going to give you and share with you the gospel of Christ, but I'm also going to live it for you because why? You are dear unto me. You are a soul whom which Jesus died for. Thus, you have in, incredible value. And so, the people we pass by, folks, can I tell you? We go through the super, whether it's the marketplace or the workplace, and we see, and so we got people all around us, and it's almost like they're scenery. The, people are not for our scenery. They are our divine appointments, which are to be our ministry. And so this world is universally, it's looking for the next best opportunity, but we have someone that is far greater than gold. They're looking for the next best investment. They're looking for the next best opportunity. And we have someone that's far greater than gold. And Jesus is the greatest gift that we must share with everyone because He is the gift that everyone needs. And as we minister the Gospel, the Lord is not asking us to give them something that, can I tell you, that we do not have. God is not asking you, He's not asking me to share with lost people the, something that I don't have. Silver and gold have I none. You might say, I'm very much, I can identify with Peter. This morning, silver and gold have I none. I have MasterCard and I have Visa and I have, I have that because I don't have anything else. All right, I don't know what you have or what you don't. But can I tell you this? If you have Jesus, you have enough. And he, God is just saying, give them of the resource that never runs out. Give them Jesus Christ. Rather, He is telling us to just give them the one that we do have. 1 Peter 1, 18-20, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamp without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. For you. Ministering the gospel is nothing more than sharing the one that you've been given through passing him on to someone who doesn't know him. That's all it is. You just share the one that you have with the one who doesn't have. And the miracle of the moment was not merely in the fact that this man's external birth defect was healed. That wasn't the miracle. Rather, the greatest miracle would be that through faith in Jesus Christ, this man's eternal birth defect was healed. And when I say, well, that doesn't say that in text. Actually, a little further, Acts 3.16 says, and his, and his name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong, whom ye have, you, you see and know, yea, and the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. We can lift people up physically, but only Jesus can lift people up spiritually. You might say, well, how does that work, Pastor? Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. We do not have a greater opportunity in helping the hurting when we just lift people up in the name of Jesus. Folks, can I tell you, one of the greatest things that you can ever do for anybody is lift them up in the name of Jesus. Who are you praying for to know Christ this morning? Who are you lifting to the throne of grace this morning? When People are lifted up by the Lord. They no longer are limping under judgment, but they will be leaping for joy. And Jesus 
here's what he does. He lets us ministers, he lets us as ministers have a part in that ministry. The Bible says this, that we get to labor together with God. We get to lift up. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we minister to the broken. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we preach the Gospel. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we disciple the new converts. Romans 10, 13, and 14, but says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a great promise! How then shall they call on Him who they have not believed? How then shall they believe in Him who they have not heard? How then shall they hear without a preacher? The heart of a healthy church is when we help those who cannot help themselves. And it's when we help those who do not know how to help themselves. What a demonstration of ministry. And then finally, can I tell you, there's a declaration of God's mercy. There's a declaration of God's mercy. Verses 8-10 through as we just try to round this out. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they, they knew it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate at the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Most likely, crippled, this crippled Jew was prohibited from entering the temple. He was a Jewish man. He had been born that way, and he was broken. He was born that way. And since he was lame from birth, it was probably interpreted by those around him as a sign of God punishing sin. Yet the heart of God, can I tell you, the heart of God in this passage, if you just look a little bit deeper behind the veneer, there is a heart back there. The heart of God would have people to know who he actually is. And thus God is doing a critical thing at a critical moment through this one lame man through actively demonstrating His grace. Why do you mean His grace? Can I tell you, this man was above 40 years old. He was one that, of all people, that should not find any healing because he had, if you will, he he was over the hill. I can identify with this. Man, I tell you, 41, it's awful. It's over the hill. I'm like, I'm... I, the, the light is growing dim at the end of the tunnel. But there's hope. My wife is older than me, and she's, she, she's the trailblazer of the family. All right, so I just, I just follow. I just say, hon, how's it up there? She, she kind of echoes back to me and lets me know. It's, it's, water's fine. Just come on in. All right? So this man, is, he's broken. And God's grace is real. No law, can I tell you, this broken life was born into religion, but his religion prevented him from being able to worship God. I mean, really think about that. This man is at the brink of the beautiful gate of the temple. He was born into the Jewish religion. And because he was broken by birth, nothing of his own doing. He'd been laying in that situation for decades. And can I tell you that this man, this man, his religion kept him out kept him away from knowing his God. And every religion will do that. And this morning, if you're trusting in religion, if you're trusting in a church to get you closer to God, it's going to lie to you. And there is not a religion in this world that gets anybody closer to God just because there's Baptists on the side. If you say, well, I go to a Baptist church, that Baptist church will send you to hell. No religion gets anyone closer to God. Only Jesus Christ, in having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus can you know God. 
And this man, this, this morning, can I tell you, as we look at his life, he's laying at the brink of beautiful. Right there. So close, yet so far away. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you are so close. But you are so far away, friend. You are so close to beautiful, to going beyond beautiful. A life that is exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. But can I tell you, you have to surrender to Him. You have to be willing to say, God, I'm broken. I trust you. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Thus, the beautiful gate of the temple, can I tell you, was as close as he had ever been to God. No longer would he ever lay there broken and at the brink of beautiful. After this, he would no longer lay there. Rather, broken went beyond beautiful when this man entered in the very near presence of his God for the first time. Jesus, he gave this man every reason to overtly rejoice and overtly praise his God and worship his God for the first time in his life. I mean, he was leaping and jumping and praising God. And we in our churches today, we're so starchy and we've been saved by the blood and yet we've been, re- we've been redeemed and we've been purchased and we've been bought back and we got all the acronyms and we got all the analogies and yet, has it gone cold? When's the last time you rejoiced and overtly worshipped your God and for all the great things that He has done? When's the last time there was something inside of you that was so welling up that it's just like, I just, I just can't contain it. I just got to sing. I got to lift. I got to worship because He's worthy of it. And you might say, man, Pastor Kyle, you got brought some charismatic weirdo. And can I tell you, there's just something about it. Folks, I'm a first generation Christian and I never knew anything of Christ before I got saved. And ever since then, God's been growing me and it's just getting sweeter and sweeter every day. And I'm telling you this morning, if you can't rejoice in the God of your salvation, then what can you rejoice in? I pray that you're not more excited over your grandkids or your bank account or your children or your sports program or whatever else is in your life than you are about the saving precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, He gave this man every reason to overtly rejoice, and you too, to worship His God. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Is that your cry today? Can you identify with that this morning? He, to where you remember the day of your salvation? Where He took you out of that miry pit of sin and self and disgust and put your feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ? And He... Get it? He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust the Lord. Boy, what a, what a great parallel verse to Acts chapter 3. There is not a more powerful witness, folks, to the testimony of Jesus Christ and the evidence that is seen through a changed life. If He has changed you, you have so much, so much to say. This man's first action, his first action is to praise and rejoice in his God publicly. Publicly. He is exercising a right response toward the God that so mercifully blessed him in spite of his brokenness. Now, we're bringing this right down to a landing. Where are you with your salvation? Do you have a glad response to the salvation that you have experienced this morning? Do you have a glad response? Do you hold it dear and near? Do you, do you rejoice and sing his praises? Folks, Exercise a right response toward the God of your salvation this morning. All the people around this man, they knew him, and they are taking note of of his testimony. They could not deny what they were seeing because they knew who this guy was. 
They could not deny what they were seeing because they knew who He was. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We believe that, right? We believe that, right? You, I, all right. If you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, can you say amen this morning? Amen. Okay, so if you believe that, then you believe that that, ver- that that verse is true and you're a new creature in Christ. And can I tell you, there is a whole lot of people, they are watching your testimony and they say, I can't deny the fact of who he was, who she was, to who they are. They can't deny that what they are seeing is firsthand on what they have become through the name of Jesus. This kind of enthusiasm for God, though, can I tell you this? It terrifies and intimidates religion. And you can be as religious and being a Baptist as you can a Catholic or a Mormon or whatever else. A little enthusiasm never killed anybody. Can I tell you this? There ought to be something inside of us that, you know, I would much rather try to lower, just try to bring people, you know, kind of, oh, guys, let's just kind of rein this in a little bit, this enthusiasm. Uh, it's just a little distracting, all right? But I would much rather have that than it's just like, can we please somebody bring, you know, like, uh, the, uh, we need like full resuscitation here to try to breathe some life into these corpses? Come on, right? I mean, we got, folks, we, this kind of enthusiasm for God terrifies and intimidates religion. However, it is attractive to those other broken people. You know why? Because it is genuine. It's genuine. It's a genuine, glad response to one's redemption. Thus, every child of God, folks, never grow cold toward your Redeemer and the redemption that you have personally experienced. Last verse, Psalm 107, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord get it? Say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You have a powerful testimony for the gospel amongst those who knew who you were, because they cannot deny what you have become through Jesus Christ. So go back. Go back. Revisit the day of your redemption and resist getting over the fact that you were broken. Resist that. But now you have be- gone beyond beautiful because of Jesus Christ. May it cause your heart to leap with joy and praise the God of your salvation once again. Let's all stand together and pray. Father, as we come before you, we truly are blessed and grateful for the God of our salvation. I pray. I pray, O oh Lord, If there are some today that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, Lord, that today that they would come, that they would come and they would receive the gift of salvation. If there are some today that maybe have been saved for years, but just the enthusiasm is just not what it used to be, that they would come and they would say, Lord, please forgive me for my calloused heart. And they would refresh and renew their heart towards their Savior. We were all lame. We were all broken. I just pray Lord, if there's one here today that does not know Christ, that they would come, that we could share the gospel with them, that they could receive the gift of God. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, this morning, can I just ask you, the altar is open. This is for you. You're welcome to come. But I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Kyle and allow him to run the